Well, hello and welcome to episode 173 of the 1099 for the week of November 5th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a former game director at Disruptor Beam, a former lead producer at 38 Studios, a former host at GameSpot.com, and now the executive producer at Other Side Entertainment, Rich Gallup. Rich, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It, does it feel weird when you kind of go down memory lane like that, where suddenly you hear every job you've been in like the last 15 years? Is that kind of like, wow, I've done a lot of shit. It's a, it's a little weird. I think it'll ask me again at the end of the show because uh, <laughs> I, I do enough like talks to uh, to people that I have to always make a slide that says some of that. But when you start pulling it apart and I was like, hey, any day could basically be like a three hour conversation. So, yeah. It, it it builds up. It's been it's been a it's been a great run. I'm looking forward to you know the next the next fifteen years. Yeah, and we're definitely gonna go down memory lane a little bit, but uh, let's 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 dig in a bit to what you're getting into now because you just got hired. A whole new thing. Congratulations. How did this opportunity come together? And of course, there's certain things you won't be able to say. But what projects, if you can talk about it, are you going to be working on now that you're at uh, Other Side Entertainment? Thank you. Uh, I really can't say much, but uh, it's been. Uh, uh, I found myself on the market uh, over the course of the summer and I was looking around and uh, one of the reasons uh, I, you don't hear me on the airwaves as much or why I left GameSpot is because I wanted to be back in New England around my family. And so uh, when I became a free agent, I was like, all right, what's nearby? What can I work at? What would be fun? Uh, and uh, I had a, uh, it was funny, I was introduced to Other Side Entertainment at the same time someone else was introducing Other Side to me and we're like, wow, this is a really great fit and uh, they're doing some really cool stuff. So uh uh, just this month, they'll be releasing uh, uh, Underworld Ascendant, uh, the spiritual successor to Ultima Underworld. Uh, and uh, there are two studios for other side. Uh, this is all very new to me, so uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain of all my facts. But there's also a studio in Austin led by uh, Warren Spector that's working on System Shock 3. And, uh, and the, the Boston area studio is led by Paul Nurath. Uh, basically, it feels like uh, to me so far from the outside looking in at least like this uh the next iteration of of looking glass which is this uh fabled game studio from the boston area that did some really great stuff and uh what gets me really excited about it is is learning from some of these uh basically these legends of of the gaming industry um and uh on top of that making uh pc and console games again something i haven't done since the days of, of 38 studios and uh and we'll probably talk about it more but just uh the science behind making uh, a PC or a console game versus a mobile free-to-play game. Uh, it's a pretty big, uh, there's, there's obviously plenty of similarities, but there's, there's a lot just within the design and how you have to make that game uh, a game for each uh, genre. Uh, it just feels really nice to be away from mobile free-to-play. Let me summarize with that. <laughs> and you used the term before free agent. And it's funny, I use that exact same one after I was laid off and looking for new work and thinking about what what's coming next. It's very different when you're when you're young and you're searching for a job, it's like, oh man, I just need to get interviews as quickly as possible. I, I don't know what's next. But as you start getting experience, it's more like, I guess I can take meetings and kind of figure things out. How long was that process for you? Like, were you talking to this massive group of people or did this new opportunity kind of just, like you said, it got introduced to you. Was this the first one that really made the most sense? It wasn't the first one, but it was, it was an early one. Like uh, we definitely uh, took our time talking to each other because as executive producer, that's a, 
that's a role with a lot of responsibility. So uh, I went, I was, and, and fortunately the studio is not far from my house. So they're like, can you come back tomorrow to talk to someone else? I was like, yeah, sure. So I made a whole bunch of trips over there and, uh, you know, got to do some phone screens with the Austin studio, including one with Warren Spector, which was fun. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I interviewed you once when I was at GameSpot, like a million years ago. He's like, oh, crazy. I was like, I'm not going to find it because I, I don't know how much of my work from back then stands up, but it, it, it might be out there. Uh, so it was, it was early on, but I definitely, I talked to a lot of people uh, in the games industry. I talked to people outside of the, out in the New England area as well. Um, and uh, I also started looking outside of games a little bit within the Boston area because I said, I'm going to be here for my family, uh, then let's, uh, at some point I might have to leave games. So let's see if, if now is that time. And thankfully, thankfully it's not that time. So this is, uh, this, this, this took several months, but it, it happened, you know, over the latter half of the summer, which was a great time to be around my boys. And, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have, uh, the support of a spouse who is uh, fully employed, which is, uh, not something you take for granted in, in the gaming industry. And, uh, and, and she's been there for me and she's like, all right, you got some time, you know, I want you to be happy. Uh, and I think uh, this opportunity on the other side uh, came along and finalized right around when that patience might have been able to, you know, starting to wane a little bit. It didn't. It did. She's great the whole time. But it's one of those things like, yeah, you know, you got, you got a job yet. Yeah. I'm getting one. It's there. It's coming. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Timing is everything with this stuff. And yeah, exactly. The concept of leaving games, was that hard for you to even consider because i again I, I went through very similar situations recently and i had the exact same do i want to keep doing this should i keep doing this would it would i have a better work-life balance if i got out of this industry and crunch and smart production is something that we'll be getting into in a little bit but would you have been okay moving on to something entirely different it depends on what that entirely different thing was. Like there's plenty of places that I would not have been happy with and I, I'd be hesitant to do. And there are a couple spots where uh, it, it was intriguing. Uh, there'd have to be that work-life balance, which is incredibly important to me. My sons are five and three and I want to see them as much as possible. But then there's also like, I've been incredibly fortunate for basically starting with when I was at GameSpot that my work was uh, very fulfilling and people enjoyed it. Like I was a film major. I like making stuff and to be able to be part of making something that people enjoy and give feedback on, uh, that, that, that'd be hard to, to walk away from. So, uh, if I did find something outside of video games in the, in the Boston area, it would have had to have been something where it involved a product that I believed in. Um, and also on top of that, the people I would have been making it with, I would have, I would have had to enjoy working with. Like, uh, you know, you walk into the, into a, the right game studio, you're going to find, you're going to make friends really quickly, hopefully. Uh, and you're going to, they're going to be interesting people with interesting stories, with different perspectives on things. You're going to learn from them. You're going to want to hang out with them. You just want to talk to them. And, uh, that's not something you can say about every job out there. Uh, and I, I believe you spend too much time at work and thinking about work for it to be any sort of drag. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you did mention before that how important work-life balance is to you right now, because of course your wife, but it's also your kids. You don't want to miss all this time. You don't want to think about, well, I need to go in on Saturday and go in on Sunday. I'm going to leave here at 8 a.m. and get back at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Then suddenly you're missing these chunks of times. And you've probably worked in every type of environment in games where you, you see a little bit of everything from, you know, major console games to free to play. But, uh, 
let's just dig into this production and crunch conversation now. What do you see as the most important aspects of being a producer in video game development? And to kind of branch off of that, how much do you think of this crunch issue falls on bad production versus just ingrained game development habits that people who have been in the industry for a long time continue to perpetuate? That is a great question. Um, and there's a lot to pick apart there. So uh, speaking to my experience, I've been very fortunate where I have not ever crunched. Mm -hmm. And crunching to me is uh, someone high up saying, okay, everybody work more uh, and don't stop. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they might say work more and don't stop until we do this. Um, and so in, you know, uh, I guess it's uh, 10 plus years, 11 plus years of, of game development. I was at two studios wow. and one of them was, was 38 where uh, I definitely worked more than 40 hours a week, but it was, it was uh, out of engagement. It was my decision. There was no, there was no boss saying, all right, guys, we're working Saturdays. Uh, it was like, no, I love it here. I have no kids. My wife uh, has a job that she's working crazy hours too. So why not? I, I'll, I'll just work a bunch too. Uh, and then when I was at Disruptor Beam, uh, I joined that company uh, in December of 2012. And in January 2013, my son was born uh, pr prematurely, two months prematurely. It was, it was, it was terrifying. That's another three-hour conversation if you all want. Uh, but I was, I was the only producer in the shop. And it was a very small team. We're talking like... 10 or less. Um, and so uh, I was in a position where I got to set the practices of like, okay, if I want to see this little guy as much as possible, we need to make sure that the that if I'm doing that, then I need to make sure that everyone else, if they want to make that choice, they can do that as well. Um, and that speaks to you. You, you started by saying, uh, what is what is an important aspect of, of games production? And, and for me, whenever I'm interviewing a, a producer candidate uh, or talking about production, I always talk about empathy. Um, and as, uh, for, for me and the, the, the job title producer varies from studio to studio. And the way I was, I was trained and the way I've, I've taught others is a game producer is a shepherd. Mm -hmm. You have this, this team of specialists very often. Some are generalists, many are specialists. And, uh, you want them to be doing the thing that they are amazing at as often as possible. And that means they need, uh, they need focus and they need, uh, a little bit of guidance from time to time, uh, but they just need to know that they are working on the thing that's most important and that they are best at and that they are not being hampered in any way of doing that. So as a producer, it's your job to make sure that that work is identified and, uh, and put before them uh, with utmost clarity, uh, and, but then also that nothing gets in their way and nothing that can be everything from, uh, you know, they need a new mouse for their desk uh, for their computer, or it could be that uh, uh, the bigger thing is, of course, your production process is, is a big mess that's hard to decipher, and they're spending time uh, trying to log a thing in a computer that says they did their work instead of just doing the work. Um, and uh, so that the empathy is, uh, and on top of that, the empathy is remembering that these are people who are here for a reason. They want to be doing great things. They want to be working as part of a team and they're also human beings. And so you have to ask of them reasonable things and make sure that they're being asked reasonable things. So uh, as a producer, you're that shepherd that uh, uh, helps them go in the right direction, but also uh, protects them from uh, things that could 
that can make uh, their jobs harder to do or just make themselves and make them unhappy. Um, and we can pick more apart that uh, as you see fit. Yeah, well, it, you're totally right that it feels like the role of a producer is wildly different from AAA to indie, from just team to team in general. Some people see them as babysitters in some way, which usually means that there's not a massive amount of respect for that. I agree. Yep. Can't do that. Yeah, you can't say that. And like that's the kind of thing that uh, if you're a producer where half the team doesn't think you need producers, that's not the type of environment you need. There has to be this understanding that, like you said, I'm not here to control what you're doing. I'm not here to tell you to do things you don't want to do. I'm here to make what you do on a day-to-day basis the right thing. Like, hey, do the thing you're best at. And very often for me, it was like, I'll I'll do the bullshit that I know you don't want to do. And I'm fine with doing that and organizing that. And the idea of the task management thing, I think is super interesting too. And I know this is nitty gritty for a lot of people, but uh, so much of setting up stuff like like sometimes you need Jira or sometimes you need Trello, sometimes you need these things, but sometimes that just becomes this hindrance where you're spending this chunk of time just proving to people that yes, I'm doing something rather than having the regular communication between people saying like I know what you're doing, let's have the stand up meeting every single day and just go forward like that. For the teams that you've worked on, the two and now this new one, do you? think it's critical to have that sort of transparency in your tasks where everyone's seeing all the tasks, you know, going through the to do doing done set, or is it more important, especially with smaller teams like disruptor beam, where you can just talk to each other and trust each other to do stuff. It, d- it depends on the relationship uh, between the two people who, who want, who want that clarity. So uh, for me, the end all be all is always the game. So, or the build. So uh, if you want to see how well we're progressing, when was the last time you played the game uh, is, the, is the immediate question I'll ask. And if you, if you stammer at me, I'll be like, okay, you start there, then come back to me and we'll talk. <laughs> um, and, if you, and, and I follow up with that, of course. And if you need help playing the game, let me know. I'll make sure you get access. Because um, uh, you can make beautiful design docs. You can write beautiful code. But if it's not in the game, uh, at the end of the day, it just, it's, it's not done. Um, so, uh, if, if it's, uh, a small team where you guys can talk to each other, uh, then yeah, it's less important to look at Jira, but let's say you're a manager, you're a director and you have like 40 people responsible, uh, that all roll up to you and you're trying to figure out who's doing well. You're trying to figure out, uh, who excels at what, and you're trying to figure out, uh, how can I reallocate this team, uh, for perfection. Then sometimes you do need that, uh, that tracking. Or uh, if you have a board that wants to know uh, how well the company is progressing, then, there, then, then there's need for tracking as well. And the trick is uh, figuring out the best way to get people the data they need without hindering everybody to get it. So, uh, and to, to me, uh, the way I work is task tracking. Uh, it's different for every team. It's different for every person. And I always try to make this a system that is tailored to the individual doing the work, but can be used to spin out the information if people are looking for it. Because uh, the people doing the work day to day, like they're the number one customer for your process. They're the one living in the process. They're the one who's always the one working in that process. And that that manager, that director, that board member type who's going to come along uh, much less frequently, like you don't need to have a day to day process uh, that gets them the information they need. You need a process that you can say, oh, you guys want something? Okay, give me two hours. I'm going to dive in and I'm going to pull that thing out. The number of communication styles you need to be proficient in when you're a producer is 
can be a bit shocking too. I know it was when I first got in there because uh, designers don't talk like artists, don't talk like programmers. Like you have to understand how these people communicate, the 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 best ways to talk to them and reach them in certain in certain aspects, and that goes beyond track and that goes beyond work. You think about just encouraging a positive culture within a company, and maybe that's not always an AP's job. That might be the main producer or someone else entirely, the founder of the company. But what do you think are some of the basic development what is what are some of the basic things development teams should do and should reach for if they're trying to encourage a positive culture because i know with tangent the last company i was at where there's a snack time that everyone's going over and hanging out and talking and just taking a break a few hours after lunch and there's just this this big push to like not even a push people just want to hang out after work or want to do things on the weekend like hey we're going I have tickets for this concert. I want to go just kind of making that a big part of it. What have you found since you started that really makes people feel like they're all in this together? For sure. I think that, that, that social outside of work part definitely helps, helps a bunch, but that, that won't touch every member of your team. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you need to find ways to do it within the work day because there's just people like for me, I'm one of them like, Oh, the day's done. Guess what? I have a family. I'm going to go or, I'm going to go see my family so I can play Red Dead without feeling guilty. You know, something like yeah. that. Uh, so there there will always be a group that wants to do the social stuff together. And it's, and you should definitely provide that. But how do you do it within, within the workday? And uh, and it, it kind of com- it comes back to empathy again. Like you have to you try you have to encourage a team to to listen to one another uh, and you have to find a way to make people feel included. Uh, no one wants to feel like they're they're left out. Uh, no one wants to be stressed. Everyone and and many people want to feel like they have power over the work they're doing. They get to make decisions. So, uh, in my in my most recent team, uh, where I was the game director, uh, when there was uh, a meeting where decisions were being made, uh, we'd actually designed the studio. Uh, we'd moved to a new uh, workspace where we had all these uh, things we call cabanas, which were basically like kind of romper room, squishy furniture and whiteboards that only had three walls. It just opened into a hallway and anyone could walk by and, and hang out. Um, so anytime there were, there were big meetings, I would just, I'd say them at the standups, you know, we were, we were a smallish team, we were less than 20. And I'd say, all right, here's the meetings that we're going to do today. Here's the decisions we're making. Uh, here's the time it's going to happen at drop in if you want to. And then I would tailor the meeting uh, based on the, the turnout. If it was a three person meeting, you know, we could really pry into it really deeply and, and, uh, and, and get into details. And if it was a larger team meeting, then you have to keep it at a higher level and very likely schedule, uh, figure out what everyone's investment is in the, in the situation and then schedule smaller meetings to break out afterwards to get to that, uh, get to those finer details if you need it. So um, uh, I like, I, I, my, my favorite way to work is to build teams that are multidisciplinary. Like an ideal team is like a designer or two, an engineer or two, an artist or two, uh, QA, of course, always there. Um, try to keep it uh, around seven people or so, uh, and make sure that that team is working together as much as possible, but also listening to one another. And there's there's all kinds of tricks to that, and just making sure as producer, like when you're shepherding those standups. I love daily standups. Just making sure I was listening to one another, making sure those connections are being made. If someone says, "Oh, I kind of need this," then you're like, "Oh, who do you need it from? You need it from them? Are you guys going to talk after this? Yeah, we're going to talk after this. Okay, let me know if you need me." Um, just making sure they're, they're listening to one another because uh, you ne- you can't expect everyone to be friends. Uh, that's that's just too hard. Uh, but you can expect people to respect one another and listen to one another. And that that if you get that and 
you're making something fun and you believe in, that's a whole other challenge, uh, then uh, I think the rest can come with it in terms of uh, enjoyment and uh, cohesiveness as a team. I think respect is so massive. And it's one of those things that's underrated because, again, if you're working, like you said, with the artists and programmers and designers and all these different people, very often they all have specific skills that the other one just can't do or have not learned to do yet. And if you see that as, well, they design combat, but they can't do my art. Like that's not a good dynamic to have. But if you see that more of, I appreciate what this person can do because I cannot do it. And it's incredible. I know as a producer, like I don't have these technical skills. So if I'm seeing these characters being created, I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. And I want to learn more. I want to talk to you and see how that even happened. Or I want to talk to the programmers, like how the hell did you add this or this HUD element or something like that? And I think if a team shares that sort of enthusiasm for what everyone else is doing and this, this sort of wonder to it of like, how did you do that? I think that kind of leads to a more healthy environment where everyone feels like they're this key, not a cog in a machine, but more like a main pillar holding this thing up. And I think that's really important. And we, we talked before about you working at 38 Studios and I'm, I'm assuming there's endless stories there. Some you can talk, ha, about, some yep. you can't talk about, but if we're- I can probably talk more about those and it kind of a disruptive being. Oh, that's good. Point, well then so. let's, you know, yeah. let's, if you wanted to boil it down, do you have a favorite memory from working at 38 Studios? You said this was, you know, you, you had a wife, but you didn't have kids at this point. It's a very different time for you. Is there something that really stands out? Um, there are a lot. Um, the uh, it's hard to talk about some many of them because of the uh, might I say the the transformation of the founder of Thirty Eight Studios, um, which I, I I don't think I've ever uh, talked about publicly before, so I don't know how far I'll go down the rabbit hole. But uh, the man who founded Thirty Eight Studios, uh, we all really liked working for him, mm. and uh, and the person he is now, I don't think any of us would like working no. for him. And we don't, yeah, we don't. I don't. I don't know what went on there. I don't, I don't talk to him, um, but at the time, he was a very generous person, a very nice person, a very inclusive person, uh, and we all really liked uh, working for him. And now it's uh, it's sad to see to see what at least his, his public persona is. Um, uh, but uh, when I was uh, working there, the team was great, uh, but a lot of and a lot of the a lot of the great memories uh, actually are. Uh, for me personally, come come with sports. So the sports one was, uh, you know, I was employee around number forty of thirty eight studios, and I was there for almost five years. And uh, I was one of the one of like the first half dozen that like sports. So when your founder is a is a former uh, professional athlete, uh, you know, there's and and you also like sports. There'll be some bonding there. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was this was later on. This was actually uh, this was uh, seven years ago. And I'm driving home from Providence to Massachusetts and uh, the phone rings. I'm in my car and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, boss? He's like, what are you, what are you doing tomorrow? It's like, oh, you know, we're trying to get this milestone done. I got some meetings. All right, uh, you want to go to the World Series? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, uh, and, and to my credit, as a good employee, I said, let me call you back <laughs> because, you know, it's a big milestone. I want to make sure we made the milestone. So uh, I called my boss, uh, Gavin, who is our studio GM, uh, and I say, hey, can I go to the World Series tomorrow? He's like, yeah, obviously, you go to the World Series. He's like, great. So uh, I got to, uh, uh, I was like, all right, I called him back. I said, yeah, we're going to the World Series. He's like, all right, cool. Uh, you know, bring bring uh, bring some clothes. We're probably staying overnight. It's going to be in St. Louis because it was the St. Louis uh, Cardinals against the Texas Rangers. And uh, and I get to work the next morning, and he uh, 
and he says, uh, "Yeah, we got room for one more. If you want, if there's someone else who who can, who wants, who you think would be good to go." And I was like, "The the power that I had at that moment, because there are plenty of plenty of baseball fans around." I was like, oh, "Okay, so this 300 people in this building, I get to I get to like pick the one who uh, who uh, gets to go on this awesome ride that I'm going." Uh, so uh, I thought about it, and we had a system designer. His name was Michael Ian Cavallo, who. Uh, we worked together again at Disruptor Beam, and now he's a turbine. Uh, and I, I, I called him in to, uh, the producers kind of had this thing. It was kind of like an office. It was kind of like a meeting room. And I said, hey, Mike, can you, can you come in? Come in here for a second. He's like, uh, sure. He's like, yeah, close it, close it up. He's like, oh, what's going on? He's like, are you, are you doing anything? Like, no. Nah. He's like, you want to go to the World Series? <laughs> Hey, he had to like drive all the way home, get a change of clothes. I think it either ruined like his birthday plans or his anniversary plans or something like that. But then we got to fly on a, on a small private jet oh to St. Louis and we got to hang out in the hotel across the street from the stadium and hang out on the set of baseball tonight with like uh, Carl Ravitch and uh, John Cruck and of course our boss and meet all these other people. And I got to like pose next to the World Series trophy and it was this incredible like sports geeky moment. So like, that's not really a developer memory, but that is like, you know, getting to fly in a private jet to go to World Series. Like that's like the, the whole time Mike and I were just kind of like punching each other. Like this is never going to happen again. We are so fortunate. We need to make sure that uh, we don't forget this and that we appreciate every moment of it. And, and we did. It was great. That that sounds like one of those moments where you have to just take a step back because if you don't realize how cool this thing is and how like, hey, this shit only happens once, you really don't yeah. take it all in. It's just one of those... All right, take a deep breath, have fun, but also this is rad. Uh, and as someone who's been a writer, who's had to throw away a lot of work and who has been in development where you see a lot of stuff happen and then there's one shift and suddenly you have to change everything or throw out a lot of art. You know, a lot of people know with 38 Studios, there's this massive project you're working on that didn't get to see the light of day in the way that you wish. So how difficult is it as a developer to put months, possibly years into a project that you know is cool that you believe in and you know you wouldn't like you mentioned before you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't believe in it and it deserves this due all this work these people put in but you never see it go public is that something that you still think about like that project and wish oh, it was oh out for there? sure yeah and not just that one like it it, it happens a bunch and i think uh it's it stings every time uh the 30th year one was the one that definitely stung stung the most because we were so far along and we'd like the game wasn't ready to ship or anything, but it could have been ready within a year. Uh, and so many people put so much effort into it. It was, it was, it was, it was just crushing. Um, uh, I remember similar things at like at GameSpot where we were trying to make some silly things. Like uh, I don't know if anyone remembers the show Let's GameSpot. That was that was the first uh, weekly show we did. Uh, basically, I wrote, shot, and edited all of it, and Jeff Gershman was was the host and. Uh, and basically, uh, we'd figure out what the content would be, and we'd shoot it, and uh, it, it turned into this weekly thing. And it got it got zanier and zanier at, as we went. And then one day, one of the higher ups at GameSpot called me. He's like, "Hey, we can't, we're not going to make that anymore." Ugh. And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, we're just not going to make that anymore." And it's like, and like I was new and youngish, and I was like, "I just be like, okay," and then to walk away and just be really upset about that. And then uh, the guy figured out how horribly he had done at managing that. Like I was, I, I was up to like episode ninety three or eighty nine or something. I made like this show every week for uh, two years, and uh, just to have it be pulled out from under us like that was it was not well done. 
Um, so that was one of my ear- earliest examples. Uh, or even like my, my very first testing gig at THQ, I, I tested uh, BattleBots for the GameCube based on the TV show. That game never shipped because the show was canceled. Uh, and now it's back and it's my kid's favorite TV show. And it's super surreal. That I was like, hey, yeah, you know, like uh, 16 years ago, your daddy helped make a video game based on this. Like, what's a video game? Uh, you guys will figure it out. Uh, one day you'll think it's cool. Uh, and then at, at Disruptive Beam, most recently, like that one's super stung. I was I wasn't just the producer; I was the director. I was the one making decisions, calling the shots, and that game got canceled. Uh, and it was uh, that that was that was brutal too. Um, and it, yeah, it, it never it never gets easier. Um, but let me tangent back to uh, my other favorite memory from Thirty Eight Studios right. because it, uh, it it did involve shipping something, and it felt great. Um, and now I'm not talking about Fart Cat, which is like memory number three uh, that I love about 38 Studios. Uh, but uh, I was really fortunate. And at 38, uh, I, I uh, got them to hire my college roommate and one of my best friends. His name's Ben Coelho. My creative partner, if you would, from college. We made all kinds of doofy videos that will never see the light of day, hopefully. Uh, but uh, I, I got them to hire him as a... Oh, he got them to hire him as a cinematics artist. I just happened to make the connection. They go, oh, this guy's great. We should hire him. And one of the ways they knew he was great was I got uh, 38 Studios, before I got there, acquired this technology called Azeroth Advisor. And Azeroth Advisor was this uh, software created by uh, Doug McRae and his team. And Doug McRae was the co-creator of Ms. Pac-Man. This is the kind of things that, you know, the connections you get to make at 38, which are great. Azeroth Advisor was an app that randomly played World of Warcraft. And it would track your progress and it would send you uh, personalized newsletters uh, about like, oh, you are, pardon me, a level 53 torn hunter. This is the zone you should be going to. This is the kind of stuff you should be farming. These are the skills you should be, et cetera. And all those articles would be written by real experts in World of Warcraft. And, uh, and 38 had had it for a little while. And they had said, uh, all right, we're going to make a marketing push on this thing to see if it's a, a viable product for us. Uh, go. And I, I said, all right, can I, can I make a video? And they're like, yeah, you can make a video. It's like, can it be anything I want it to be? And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like, can I make a funny one? I'm like, yeah, make a funny video. Uh, and so I got, can we hire my friend to help? I don't think Ben was working for us yet. I, it was like 10 years ago. I don't remember. It might, this might even be like the 10 year anniversary <laughs> of it. Uh, for, uh, Cause I never, we shot it during Oktoberfest. So it's, it's definitely like, it's either like the 10th or 11th or 9th anniversary of this thing. Uh, and, uh, so we made this really doofy video together called Wizards versus Cyborgs. And it was like being in college again, uh, where we would like, we'd spend like, we'd go all nighters through weekends, just making something ridiculous. And we, and we did this and it was about this app called the Azeroth advisor. Uh, Ben was a wizard. I was a, a potential customer, uh, slash cyborg. It gets really crazy. And it was one of those things that just mattered, like, I was like, yeah. Making silly stuff is is really fun, uh, and it had a good response. And I uh, what uh, thirty eight rented one of those trucks with like the the video billboard oh my God. on the side of it, you know, like it's a truck in the back, and and they put it on that, and they drove it around the outside of BlizzCon nonstop. And I had so many friends, and like I keep seeing you yell at me, please stop. <laughs> Uh, I love it. I love that video so much. You sh- yeah, you can find it on YouTube still if you search for Wizards versus Cyborgs. 
and uh, that and and uh, it was something we shipped at 38, which is not many, which you can't be said can't be said about too many things. So Man. it's definitely like a top 10 shipped product from 38 Studios for sure. That, I'm going to immediately look this up as soon as we're done recording this podcast. Uh, oh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. That's incredible. And get ready for this semi tangent, but not real tangent. We'll call this a transition. Uh, a lot nice. of that silly video work is stuff that you were honing at GameSpot back in 2003. And back during that time, video really wasn't that much of a thing when it came to, when it came to games coverage. Like now, of course, anyone who watches this stuff is like, oh, everything's a Let's Play. Everything is a Twitch stream. It's Ninja playing Fortnite or whatever. But, you know, back when, when I was really into games media, it was all written stuff. It was previews. It was reviews. It was It was all that. Was it difficult to convince your bosses back then to invest in that side of media? Did you have this big sheet of hard data saying, here's why video is going to be big and we should be early adopters in podcasts and you know, on the spot in these different shows that I'm creating? Or was it more of you had some leniency and let's try it? When I started at, uh, at GameSpot, I was, it was, I was like, uh, how old was I? Like 24, 25, something like that. So I, I had no pull. I started as an intern. I was like, all right, let's do this thing. And the people leading the way on that were folks like Ryan McDonald, who was the, who was the executive producer of what, what was called GameSpot Live at the time. Uh, and, uh, and like Vince Brody, the, the, the CEO of GameSpot and, and folks like Greg Kasav and, and Jeff. But I really credit a lot of it to, to Ryan. Yeah. Uh, the, the team at GameSpot Live was not a formally trained group like they knew what they were doing but it was a lot of a lot of people like hey we should just try this and let's figure it out and ryan was definitely the spirit of that so and ryan would be like hey we should do a live show like all right he's like no we'll figure it out we'll figure out how to do it uh and thanks to the resources from GameSpot and cnet uh, we got to figure it out um and it was rare where i got to be like hey we should try this it was more like like we're gonna do a live show I was like okay i got it and that's where like the format for on the spot came from or they'd be like Hey, you got some free time. You want to try something? He's like, yeah, I want to try making a game show. I've always wanted to be a game show host. I'm going to make, and it's going to be called Button Mashing. And hey, Jeff, can you do a theme song? Yeah, I can do a theme song. Great. And then we made Button Mashing. Uh, or I really wanted to make a cartoon. Can we make Time Trotters? I don't even know if we got to ship Time Trotters before I left, but two episodes got out, uh, got out there. And uh, it was one of those things where I'd be like, hey, I wanted to make this. Yeah. And people would be like, okay, go for it. But it was rare where I was like, hey, we're going to do something live. We're going to go to EA Tiburon and do a live stream about it. Like that was that was uh, that that kind of idea came from folks like Ryan McDonald. And it was my job to be like, all right, I'm going to take that idea and help you make it as good as possible. Um, and eventually my job came more of an on-camera role. And I got to make even less decisions. We'd be like, all right, what are we doing now? All right, good, let's do this. I was, And I still got to make sure like, I got to shoot stuff and edit stuff because I always felt like I was a stronger video editor than I was uh, on-camera talent. But uh, it was great that I got to do both. But seeing seeing the way, seeing what things can do, everyone can do today, like, I, it's amazing. Like, I remember when Twitch uh, was Justin TV, he came through with his backpack on where he was like, I'm, he's streaming himself on on the internet all the time. He just was like hanging out in our kitchen at GameSpot. You walk in, you're like, oh, look at that heavy backpack and that camera on your head. Cool. Good luck, buddy. Billionaire. Uh, or... Uh, or like I remember like when we'd go on trips like rolling around with like these ruggedized boxes that I think we bought from the military so we could do uh, you know a 150k real media stream from another you know state uh, and what people can do with phones now it's uh, 
it's awesome. It's one of those things. Where, so like I left GameSpot, it was either 2007 or 2008. And, uh, and that's an interesting story in, a, in and of itself. But at the time when, and that was so I could follow uh, my wife and her career and we could come back to the Boston area. And I didn't know what I, what I should do then. And I, I, I got lucky and fell in with 38, but it, it's one of those things I, I figured it's like, so it was like 2007, 2008, like, what if I had just tried making stuff on my own? What, what would my, where'd my career have gone then? Because that's pretty like, that's kind of like when it got started, yeah. like the whole streamer thing, I feel. And, uh, it's one of those, uh, one of those lottery tickets I wish I bought. And it just, it just didn't even occur to me as, uh, it didn't seem like a, a feasible thing because of how much money it would cost and I needed to pay rent. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome to see what everyone can do now. Um, I definitely do not consume anywhere near as much content as I did back when I worked at GameSpot. But uh, the the quality of what anyone can make right now is so much higher than anything we could do back then. Uh, I'm, I'm a little I'm a little jealous. Yeah, the what ifs are insane, right? Where a yeah. lot of the, of course a lot of the people who became successful are successful because they're talented because they put in the work. But in some cases, it's also just they were there first and they were able to get better over time. But it was like, hey, this this new revolution is starting. I'm going to make a channel and do Let's Plays or I'm going to start up a, a, a Twitch channel and just stream every single day and be one of the first people that has this consistent schedule. And it's just something I think about too. I'm like, what if I got into that instead of freelancing at IGN and GameSpot? Like, what, yeah. how different could this have been? And you mentioned that you, you don't really consume as much media and I'm the same way. It's, it's hard to at this point. But with the video landscape the way it is today, when you do actually want to be like, okay, I assume Red Dead's going to be great, but I want to see some opinions on it. Or there's a new Dragon Quest game, and I just want to see what people are saying about it. What do you find to be the most interesting type of games coverage to consume today? Is, is it do you, you have? Is it is it Giant Bomb? Is it Twitch streams? Is it still Polygon and Gamespot reviews? What do you kind of gravitate toward? It's uh, it's Giant Bomb, uh, and, and and often it's me texting them instead of reading their <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I still talk to those guys all the time. We're still, we still hang out every time we're in the same town. Uh, I'm like, should I play that? And they'll be like, it's going to take you eight hours until that game really takes off. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I'm not playing it. Thank you for the heads up. Uh, but it, it's Twitter. It's Giant Bomb. It's trailers. It's coworkers as well. Um, I actually, uh, as part of my, uh, my uh, job search, I, I got my first uh, laptop that could play PC games Ooh. for the first time in 10, 10 years or whatever. So I, I got to open up Steam, like, oh, look at all these games that I bought because I wanted to support the creators but never played. So uh, and it was, it was fun when like Oberdin came out whatever a week or two ago. And I'm like, hey, I, I can play that right now. Um, and so uh, it, and, and to learn about that one, I was reading about it on Twitter. People were just talking about it on Twitter. I was like, oh, that sounds rad. Um, but uh, yeah, there 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 can be uh, there can be a paralysis as, as to what I choose, but I, I'm not reading too many reviews anymore. Uh, I, I find it the the quality of a console game, if it's like TV commercial worthy, is generally uh, good enough for me. Uh, like I'm not I'm not I'm I'm gonna buy like one console game every two months, so it's not hard for me to pick. Like, all right, what's the one that's gonna be like? Oh, it's gonna be Red Dead Redemption yeah. Two. Yep, got it. Great. Uh, so my, my choice is like, do I want to play the cowboy game or do I want to play the, the Greek assassin game? Like, oh, I'll play the cowboy game this time. I never got through the Egyptian assassin game. I definitely want to do that. Um, so I don't, I don't need like that, that granularity that, that reviews give. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up one anecdote that I thought you'd appreciate uh, talking about like, like the kids these days, et cetera. Uh, I'm, uh, I remember 
way back in the day, early days of GameSpot. And it was, uh, and it was, uh, Vince, Vince Brody, who was the founder of GameSpot and, uh, he was the CEO when I was there. And he came up to us once and he's like, guys, you know what I want? It's like, what, what do you want? Vince He's like, I wish someone would just play all of Legend of Zelda Wind Waker and put video of it up so I could just watch that instead of, instead of having, cause I'm never gonna have time to play it. Yeah. And we're like, and we're like, Vince, no, you're crazy. Like one, that's way too much video. We can't make that much video. And two, like, it's like illegal. Like Nintendo would never let oh us do that. Uh, yeah. And so the, the closest, uh, and the closest thing that we came to realizing that dream was when Greg Kasavin, uh, I'm pretty sure this is his idea. He's like, all right, uh, what was the game? Elder Scrolls, uh, was it Morrowind? Morrowind yeah. I think it was Morrowind. He's like, I'm just going to play this game all night. And I'm going to, and can we just like have me doing that live? And we're like, yeah, uh, sure. Let's do it. And he played it for like 12 hours, streamed it. It was like the first, like, let's play. You could say, Visionary. uh, d- done live with chat. Uh, it got broken up by a fire alarm <laughs> in the, at like midnight, which I know is crazy. Uh, and Greg's now of course off at super giant making amazing and gorgeous games. Um, and now it's just someone's like, yeah, I'll just hit the button on my game that lets me do that. Uh, but I really, I remember Vince being like, yeah, I want to do that. And like, we're like, nah, Vince, no, nah, it's crazy. Sorry. It's so hard to predict this shit because everything yeah. that yeah. actually becomes big sounds super crazy in the moment. And even though you are in, you know, development, again, you, you've, you've seen a lot of this stuff change. If you had to place bets, if you were to do like over-unders for some of this stuff, and let's say, let's say you decide like, all right, I'm going to just go all in on something similar to your conversation before like wow man what if i was just a streamer early what if i was a youtuber early do you yeah. see like a next big thing is there something on your mind that you think like all right it's gonna go full born blank it's going to instead of video it's all this nah. or do you think it's kind of just heading in the same direction we've evened out a bit uh right like doomsday prepping maybe uh bunkers <laughs> uh clean water yeah, yeah no definitely not like it's uh uh, I've, I've never, I've, I'll, I'll admit to, I've never been one to, I'm not much of a, a visionary, I would say, at least in terms of coming up with, with entertainment ideas. Uh, so, so no, like for example, uh, so the woman who helped me get my job at GameSpot, her name is Susie Ryder. And she and I went to the same college. And when I moved to San Francisco, uh, from LA, cause I did not like living in LA and my girlfriend slash now wife was in San Francisco. And uh, I found Susie via my college, uh, my college's alumni network, Middlebury. And I said, like, hey, Susie, here's what I can do. I like video games. I can make, I was just a video game test track. I make movies. She's like, oh, we have, you should come work with us. And that's how that worked. And she left GameSpot when I was there to go become the chief marketing officer of YouTube. And I remember being called into an office and one of the exec types was like, hey, Rich, we're going to give you all these stock options because we're worried you're going to follow Susie to YouTube. And I was like, why would I do that? Like, they don't even make videos. They just host <laughs> other people's videos. And, uh, and then like she got there and a few months later, Google bought YouTube and et cetera. And it's just one of those things like, you know, that's, that's definitely another lottery ticket where I was like, ah, I should have bought, should have bought that one. Um, uh, so no, I didn't see that playing Wind Waker would be all the way through live stream would be successful. I did not see that working for YouTube would be a thing. I didn't see that being an independent streamer could be lucrative. It really looks like way too much work. Like I'm, uh, I'm turning 40 like next week. And I, I see like all the hustle that all of these streamers have to do to be on all the time. Uh, and like, you know, optimizing things to make sure that they're being noticed. And there's so many, so many thumbnail images you need to make of you doing a doofy face in front of a bright 
background or something that I just, I wouldn't have patience for, for any of that. So I don't have that many faces. Like that's, that's my problem is like, there's only so many faces you can go before you just run out of fucking faces. And everyone's like, here's my 19th different face. And also me falling into a hole. And here's my donut County playthrough. And I just, I don't have that in me personally. And also, yeah, the, the always being on thing is really a lot as someone, you know, sometimes you just have bad days and sure they probably do too, but your bad days are so much more public and impact your content and thus your livelihood that like, if I'm having a bad day at a regular job, I can be like, eh, I'll just be more quiet today and not socialize as much. or just going to put my head down. But if you're again, a ninja, you can't just be like grumpy the entire time and not talking because hundreds of thousands of people are watching you and expecting a certain character to come out with his 374 faces like it's how much does that dude get paid is is that known oh it's ridiculous it's like what like five hundred thousand a month or something like that it it is i i I could do it for that okay you know know what yeah Yeah, i can do it for that no problem that way it's kind of the thing where it's like yeah i would step in a cage to fight a trained fighter for like five million dollars type of thing i don't don't know if i do that but but yeah maybe it's got like knocked out in like 45 seconds i feel like it'd probably be worth it like there's like one concussion for five million dollars is not the worst trade in the world right at at GameSpot, i was i was definitely i tried to be the upbeat guy most of the time and at, at most i was averaging like two hours on a day uh so like 10 hours on a week and that was draining and that was one of the reasons like i was i was comfortable making the decision leaving GameSpot was because uh the job was getting really repetitive and uh and it was uh there are only so many ways uh talking about something that someone else is making can be really tough if you uh uh, especially if you want to be making stuff like I didn't know I was going to get into video games when I when I came back to Boston. But one of the reasons I was okay-ish with leaving GameSpot was that uh, I was just exhausted. It is I, a grind is a cliche when it comes to media and you know quote unquote journalism. Like it, games media is a weird form of journalism that's it's hard to fully describe, but it gets exhausting. You hit a certain wall, especially if you do news coverage. Where you're just kind of doing the same thing every single time, and like you said, you're you're covering other people's creations rather than something that you're pouring yourself into. I I, I know I ran into the exact same wall, and it's like I don't really know if I can keep doing this. And you've done different types of game development. Now you're working on more. The the term that keeps getting used in a lot of these interviews I'm doing is HD versus mobile. But how different was it? Interesting. To into, I've never, I haven't heard that one. Really? Oh, HD. I keep hearing HD. Like that is that is a thing. At uh, I cannot name phones. Because... Phones do HD. Phones yeah, are very high res. It's not fantastic lingo for what people are trying to say. I feel like that was something that happened like way back, and they just haven't changed it. And now, like that, I like uh, I like couch versus toilet. That's kind of how I do it. I have never yeah. heard of that one, but that's a way more <laughs> that, was my, that was mine. Okay. That was mine. All right, well, I'm going to yeah. use that not in the interviews because they might give me a weird look and not hire me. Um, nice. <laughs> yep. How different was it to get into the mindset of the mobile gaming community, especially free to play? Because you know, you think of like Kingdoms of, Am- Kingdoms of Amalur versus something at, at the uh, at your next job where you're thinking more about how do I get into I hate saying getting into the walls of someone, but you still need to think about that to make sure that if you're giving this away as a free download, you're still able to pay all the employees. So was that a big process? For, for sure. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a learning process. When I started at, at Disruptor Beam, we, Game of Thrones Ascent was a Facebook game. Yeah. And, uh, and then we ported it to mobile and then we had Star Trek Timelines mobile and uh, Walking Dead March to War mobile. And, and we just kind of learned, 
I learned it as we went and we'd hire people who knew it or would teach us and et cetera. But the, the, the designing around a way to look at it is designing around when you get your money from your consumer. And uh, for, for a couch game that you're trying to convince someone to give you a whole bunch of money up front. And so that like you need to make something that really pops that uh, really catches their attention that they find really intriguing that say, okay, I feel comfortable spending 15, 30, $60, whatever on the promise of that game. Yeah. Me- meanwhile, the, on, on mobile free to play, you have to think like, okay, we need to grease the rails of this game so that P- as many people as possible get to that point where they give us a little bit of money and then grease it further so that they keep giving us more. So every time you play a mobile free-to-play game, <coughs> pardon me. So every time you're making a mobile free-to-play game, you have to think about like what happens in the first six taps on this game. They install it. How long does it take to install it? These are the things you need to figure out. You, you, you just grease the rails all through. Like, is this, what's the download size of this game? Uh, because people will lose patience very quickly. Okay, when you show up in the game and play, what's the first thing we ask you to do? It better be to play like the coolest part of the game, because if you're asking them to like build a character, like choose a name, read a bunch of story, watch a really awesome cutscene. Like when you make a mobile free-to-play game, like everything is tracked via analytics. And I, I'm I'm new to the re- I'm, I'm newly returning to the couch game space or the desk game space. And I don't know how, how much they do this, but this is like standard practices for making a mobile free-to-play game. It's like, all right, we're going to track every single tap for X amount of minutes of playing this game. And we're going to make a graph. And we're going to find out where we lose everybody. And then we're going to do it. And then we're going to iterate and make it better. Uh, <laughs> this is a great drum solo. This, this part's definitely staying in the podcast. There's no way I'm awesome. taking out your child's drum solo. Okay, definitely... Uh, Yes, that was my kids playing the drums in the background. And yes, I did pause and ask them to stop. We'll see if it worked. Uh, yeah, so uh, when you make a mobile free-to-play game, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of analysis. There's a lot of analytics behind it. There's a lot of iterating behind it. So like, if you're making a mobile free-to-play game, one, you're tracking all this, all this player behavior with analytics, but then you also get to this really neat thing called soft launching. Mm. Are you familiar with that concept? Yes. Exactly. So if you're not... Soft launching means uh, we're going to put out our game. We're only going to put it out on Android in New Zealand. So it's not like we didn't really release it, but we kind of did release it. So uh, we Apple isn't going to try featuring us yet. Google isn't trying to feature us yet because we're just soft launching. But basically, we're going to use the fine people of New Zealand to tell us if our game uh, is any good or not. And it's by tell targeted us... targeted early access to a certain Yeah, extent. exactly. And... Uh, and because it's a mobile free-to-play game, it's not like we, we sent out an email blast saying like, hey, a thousand people want to play this game, jump in, it's the beta. It's like, no, we're going to just sneak this game out there and we're going to try pulling customers the way we would in the States or anywhere else, which is basically Facebook ads or user acquisition campaign is what it's called. And we're going to see how effective these ads are when these people show up, uh, how long do they play, does the game crash for them, uh, and do they actually give us money? And uh, you get to you get to iterate a lot. You get to analyze it a lot, and uh, and then you have to make a game that uh, people stick around for. The whole live operation side of it of uh, uh, 
All right, what's your event system like? All right, when's the next update coming out? What's the next deal in the shop that keep people giving you more and more money? As opposed to, uh, uh, you, you know, your couch games, uh, like some of them, when's the last time you played a couch game and you're like, man, the tutorial of this game is amazing. I totally understand what I'm doing. Everything's great. I'm not confused at all. I get it. it, it I'm, just, I'm just ready to go. I have everything I need. Uh, as opposed to a mobile free-to-play game, like if you're not an expert in the in the game within a couple minutes, like uh, they they the developers probably wished they had done something differently. Yeah, the the attention spans in general are already super small, and once you hit that mobile stage, like you said, if, if the install is too big, people are like I'm out. If the loading screen at the start is a little bit too long, or it's like ah, that art's kind of shitty, I'm out. Like it's just so easy to download and uninstall things and and get over it that I would assume just getting that attention. It's your main goal, but it's also an extremely difficult goal that you have to change the way your brain works. And now that you've done that for as long as you did, and you know, you, you've seen the ups and downs of it, do you think people assume that making big money with mobile games is much easier than it actually is? Has the market saturated to a point similar to how back in like 2007, 2008, it was like, if, if you made a really creative indie game it's going to do really well because there weren't that many back then now if you do a 3d platformer with a rewind time braid-esque mechanic people are like i've seen a billion of these i don't need another one is mobile gaming kind of like that i think uh every it's it's just hard to make money on video games it's uh it's entertainment it's uh who knew Fortnite would be so big and who uh who has the bankroll to try making a game that would take people away from Fortnite? but on, on the mobile side too like uh if you are making a free to play game, you need to make sure you have the money uh, to support it. Like when you are buying an ad to try to lure someone into your mobile free to play game, you are buying an ad against people like Game of War, against Candy Crush, Gardenscapes. These people have. I don't even know what Gardenscapes is. What's that one? Oh, you haven't played Gardenscapes? Oh, oh I'm starting to feel old wow. and out of touch. I've never even heard of that. Gardenscapes, it's probably it's probably like a number ten game right now. It's definitely not like it's not like it's not like Candy Crush or Game of War in terms of how quickly you should recognize it. But basically, Gardenscapes is uh, it's match three mm-hmm. in that in that Candy Crush fun way, and you are trying to finish boards so you can help improve your amazing garden. Like, oh look, the pool is broken. I need to finish three match three boards to call the repairman. Oh, the repairman's here now. I need to. F- finish four boards so that he'll actually repair the pool. Now I need to finish two more so he will fill the pool with water. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's match three. Man, uh, has anyone, with, with, on a similar track, has anyone ever combined like Stardew Valley with match three? Where like you have to match certain things, then you suddenly plant turnips, then you match more and you water them? Let's say yes, because if, okay. it's, uh, if it's match three plus blank, then yes, someone has made it or at least right. tried making it. Well, if no one has, uh, don't, no one steal that shit. That one's mine. All right, sorry. No, wait, take it. They should take it. It's, it's, your, it's better to see your ideas flourish than uh, if you're, especially if you're not going to have any time to make it yourself. Yeah, I'm not. Just get, just get, the, get the idea <laughs> out there. Uh, yeah, so, make, but yeah, games like that, like they have user acquisition teams that are likely bigger than your average indie dev team's entire studio and like that is a, that those are there are people like figuring out like what the ads should look like how much they should spend the ads in analyzing uh which ads are most effective and then switching them over like you're talking you know half a dozen to dozens of people depending on the size of your studio because entire job is basically placing tiny ads for your game and getting people through that funnel 
uh, video ads, et cetera. So like that, that whole mindset, that's a whole, uh, that's a, that's a job that uh, exists now thanks to mo- mobile gaming. And it's, it's a, it's a hard one to try competing with if you're, if you're indie. And then also you have to design a game that, that supports all of that. Like, uh, asking for money in the middle of gameplay kind of stinks because yeah. as a player, you're, you know, a lot of us, we don't want to do that. We accept it and we understand it. And for years I've, I've, I've found myself becoming comfortable with, with being a, a player of games like that. But, uh, it's, uh, it's really nice to not worry about that for a little bit. Well, let's end by looking forward instead of looking back. I mean, we're recording this before you've even started your first day. Uh, I didn't know if we were going to reveal that or not. I yeah, mean, it should Hello, be fine as long as past, I mean, yeah. this isn't this isn't coming out until next week, so it should be totally Sweet. fine as long as you're okay saying that. Um, okay. And you know, so you don't really know what this experience is going to be like yet. But what are your like? What are your goals at Other Side Entertainment? What are you most looking forward to now that you're you're back in? Couch games instead of what was it toilet games? Was that how this was going? Yeah, before? couch games versus toilet games. Okay, yeah, that's what I, did. I will never forget that. Now, uh, what are you kind <laughs> of excited about? I'm excited about a longer dev uh, roadmap. I'm a longer dev cycle. Like uh, I'm excited about making something bigger. Uh, I'm excited about making something that uh, hopefully a physical version will exist that I can put on a shelf and, and point at. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about making a game that I can dr- bring by giant bomb and they're comfortable talking about, uh, uh, I'm excited about, uh, playing a game with a controller that, that, that I made. Like there's just, it's just for me, a, a phone can never compare it to, uh, having a controller in, in one's hand. Um, yeah, uh, I'm excited about learning from all the people there who've been doing stuff like that. Uh, I'm excited to work with Joe Fielder, which is kind of fun. Do you know that name? Yeah. Yeah. So Joe's at Other Side Entertainment. And Joe was, uh, he was the editor-in-chief or executive editor at GameSpot before Greg Kasavin was. Uh, Joe, Joe, I'm pretty sure, gets to claim that he was uh, the, the first video review of the history of the internet when GameSpot made one for Halo. And he was the guy on camera for it. I'd put that shit um, on my LinkedIn profile. Like I would right? be, I for, invented for sure. video reviews. Uh, and there, there's other people, uh, also, also the other side that, that I'm, I'm excited to work with, but it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited to learn. So, uh, making a mobile free to play game, uh, to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation, uh, you could, it was very easy to say, we're never going to crunch because this game, after we ship it, we need a new update in two weeks. Yeah. We need a new event in three weeks and we're going to need to do it again the week after that. So if we crunch leading up to this date that we're calling ship, uh, we will have no energy to actually support the game and, and make and help it sustain and survive. Uh, so it's it's easy to schedule around that because you can say things like, "Oh, that feature that we really want. Sorry, we're going to push it out three months because uh, we we don't think we need it for launch one, but two, we don't have time for it to launch, and three, we need to make sure that we're still vertical when this game launches and we have the energy to to gather data from our players and make sure they still want that thing that we're thinking of making." Um, Meanwhile, for making a couch game, you uh, that that luxury is not is not set in stone. Like a lot of times, it's like how you launch launch is so much more important than it is for a mobile free to play game, and therefore it can be a lot harder to make decisions. Like, okay, we should not work a little more on this because uh, uh, work life balance is important. We don't want to burn out, and we think that we don't need this feature. 
So I'm, I'm eager to see how my philosophy of, uh, of work-life balance measures up against something with a, with a harder, a harder ship date, a harder, harder feature list. And how, how can I make sure I see that's coming and make sure the team works around it because, uh, there's more to life than work and you have to make sure you, you're enjoying everything as much as you can. Yeah, there's more to life than work is maybe the the actual most important lesson out of all of this. And it's something that I, we've both realized and like need to keep remembering. If people want to follow you on this journey, uh, are, I know you're on Twitter sometimes, not all the times. Uh, what's your social media handle? Uh, it's rich underscore Gallup. The underscore indicates how late I was to joining Twitter. <laughs> uh, so you could you find me there. That's the only spot you're, you're really going to see. It's, uh, it's a lot of Red Sox tweets right now, uh, but uh, I'm on there. And uh, maybe when other side starts announcing stuff, uh, you'll find me there too. But in general, if there's like an industry event in New York or San Francisco or Boston, you'll probably find me find me there too. Perfect. Well, uh, Rich, congratulations on the job. Congratulations on the Red Sox winning the World Series, which actually just happened last night since we've been recording this. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing all the cool shit you do at this new studio. Uh, I'm, I'm happy you're... You're back to uh, couch games and not to make ha. you feel old in any capacity. But, you know, I've been watching you at GameSpot since, you know, the, the very beginning and really appreciate what you do. Can't wait to see what you release and happy to hear that you're happy. You're going to love Wizards versus Cyborgs then. And as a, <laughs> as, as a producer, I will say, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the team I'll be working with is making and I'm there to help them do it. So uh, it, this won't be a... Uh, a buy Rich Gallup game. This will be uh, uh, with some help from Rich Gallup game. And uh, that's the way it should be. Okay. Well, you shouldn't be like Rich Gallup presents blank because I think Rich Gallup presents Fart Cat. Yes. I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. Rich Gallup presents Wizards versus Cyborgs. Yes. Uh, Rich Gallup helps make other sides next great game. Yeah. That, that sounds right. That feels good. All right. Perfect. I'm going to let you awesome. go play drums with your kids. So thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> And hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.